Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. My name is Guy of Guy's Woodshop, and I'm joined tonight by Hui Huin of the Alabama Woodworker. Hey, Guy. How are you? I'm doing well. How's the uh, baby? Oh, she's getting huge, man. Is she like 40, 50 pounds by now? Oh, man, she's taking the serious weight gainer, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Sean of Simple Cove. How are you, Sean? Good. How are you, Hui and Guy? We're doing great. This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We also have a new Patreon account, and right now we have one level, and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. And uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash woodshoplife. I'd also like to say hello to a new Patreon we have this time, Chris Souter, and we sincerely hope that you'll give us your support. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. And make sure to listen all the way to the end of the show. We are going to give a shout out to some folks who we think are notable woodworkers to follow on social media. So let's get right into it. Hui, I believe you have the uh, microphone. All right. This question is from Matt. He says, hi, guys. I love the show. I've been looking to, at building a new workbench, and like any good woodworker, I'm doing too much research and not enough building. My question is about work holding. What types of vices do you guys prefer? Why? What are the pros and cons? I was specifically debating between the Veritas twin screw or the Benchcrafted leg vise and could add a Moxon vise down the line if needed. Do you have any thoughts on either of these? I have a pretty small shop, so I'm doing mostly hand tool work since I don't have much room for machines. So we've talked about vices in the past, about particularly how they're sort of mounted on the workbench, either having it flush to the face of the workbench or actually proud of the face. He's actually specifically talking about vices. So I thought it might be a good idea just for us to kind of go down the line of what vices we use, why we like it, and why we chose to to go with that specific vice. I've got the Veritas twin screw vise. I really like it, and I particularly like it because I like to do hand-cut dovetails every now and then. Not always, but every now and then. And it's particularly nice because it has, I built the vise to have 24 inches of room between the screws, so I can put a pretty good-sized carcass in there. But that's pretty much the benefits that I saw to using the Veritas twin screw vise, and that's why I chose it. Sean, what are you using as a vice and why did you choose it? What were some of the pros? Uh, I'm currently using a cheap, I think $70 vice from, I think it was Woodcraft. I think it was Wood River brand. Um, I have it on the end of my- Like a front vice or? Yeah, exactly. I have it just mounted on the end of my workbench. Mm -hmm. But the reason I bought that is because I was new to woodworking, didn't know what I needed, what I wanted. Uh, I just knew that uh, I needed a vice, and so I just bought the the cheapest one that got the job done and mounted it to the end of my workbench. With the amount of knowledge that you have now, do you think it has served you well? And if you were to do it now, would you have gotten a different vice? It served me well. Uh, you know, I was able to hold the work, which is very important. And uh, if I were to do it over, I would probably go the twin screw and mount it to the side of my bench and not the end. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would go with... Um, what was the other type of vice that he said? The leg vice? Leg yeah. Vice. Yeah. I would probably just go twin screw like you, Hui, and mount it to the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, because right now, anything that I want to clamp, I use my Moxon vice for, like, for cutting dovetails and I want to clamp boards like that. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. the, the, the vice I have now has the screw right dead in the middle and it racks. If I were to do it over, probably go Veritas twin screw. And I may end up doing that eventually. But you know, that's my setup. Guy, I know you have a, a smaller bench. What is your setup like? I have a, a Veritas... Uh, I don't even know what they call it. It's a front vise. 
they, I think they call it their quick release vice. It was pricey. It wasn't a real cheap one. It wasn't like a $70, $80 vice. It was a couple $300, if I remember correctly. And it's fine for everything I do with it. Mm-hmm. I don't hand cut dovetails, not that often anyways. And for me, it pretty much does everything I need it to do, which is just basically hold something in it so I can get it with a chisel or a hand plane or something like that. He's talking about a Moxon vice. I think if I ever, I've heard some negative things about the twin screw vice before. Yeah, I have too. And I don't know where that's coming from. I know you said you like it, Hui, but I have heard some negative stuff about it. The Moxon vice seems like a really good way to go if you want to do something like that because, you know, you can make them very inexpensively and you can make it as wide as you want. The other nice thing about the way I built my Moxon, and I think, Sean, you did the same thing, is that it's actually elevated about five inches from the work surface, which actually is a little bit more comfortable for me to act, to do hand sawing. Would you agree, Sean? Absolutely. And if you're looking into Moxon vices, I know that you, there's a couple of different designs. One is just uh, the Moxon vice, and the second one is pretty much the vice with an added table that you attach to it that gives you a little bit more working surface. There are two different styles, I guess, but I went with the the additional table that's attached to it. And it's really, really helpful just because I don't have to, you know, move the vice out of the way, put something on the workbench to chop the dovetails out or the waste or whatever. Did you buy that hardware for the Moxon vice or did you make it? No, I bought it from what Texas Heritage on Instagram. I forget, Jason. Oh, okay. Thick pen. Yes. Uh, really good hardware for the price. Um, I love the the setup. It's not as smooth as probably the Benchcrafted, but I've not used theirs. I mean, it does the job great. Um, Having what you have, do you really, I mean, you're happy, right? Oh, absolutely. I would not do it any different. It's a great value for the price. You get an excellent set of hardware for a Moxon vice. Guy, you mentioned something that was really interesting in the past. You've had one of those sort of older vices similar to what uh, Sean currently has. Could you yes. explain the differences that you've experienced between a, say, premium vice versus like, you know, the $50, $60, $70 vice? It's premium. <laughs> no, but I mean, <laughs> things like, you know, tolerance, looseness in the jaws, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's it's a difference. You know, we, 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 we talk about this before and I, I, I put a lot of credence in the weight of things. Mm-hmm. That thing weighs about 50 pounds. Right. While my old vice weighed about 15. Mm-hmm. It's thicker castings. It's a much beefier piece of equipment. I mean, it's just made really well. It had a, it's about a one inch diameter Acme thread on it. It's just a big, beefy vice. You know, that's all I can say. The old one, the old one I had was an, a record vice, mm-hmm. it wasn't cheap. But, you know, it was small and it was just a bench vice and it, it did what I needed to do. It's just a, you know, it's like the difference between, you know, we've said, I've said this a million times, the difference between driving a Mercedes and a Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. They both do the same thing. One just does it a little bit. It's made a little bit nicer. And the cheaper one that I have, it, there's a lot of, of slop. Yeah. And it's just a it's just a sloppy feel. I mean, it works, but it's just not a premium feel to it. I mean, it, you can tell a difference. What about leg vices? Have you guys ever... I mean, you both of you guys do a lot more hand tool work than I do. And I've got one of those uh, bench-crafted high vices, which is just a like a miniature leg vice right. that you mount on top of your workbench, and it brings stuff up a little bit higher. 
Do you guys feel that you're missing out on something not having a leg vise? I don't. I don't. I have the twin screw and I don't feel as though I'm missing out on anything. They're sweet though. So let me ask you this. I've never used one, never seen one in person. I, I can't think of why I would want one, but imagine that you're cutting a, a 16 inch wide panel aside of a blanket chest. How would you, obviously you'd have to use some other mechanism to hold that in place versus right. if you were to use a twin screw, just stick it between the, you know, in the mm-hmm. center, clamp it up and you're ready to go. Right. What would you gain from having a leg vise over a twin screw? I guess that's what I'm wondering. Guy had mentioned before is the f- the twin screw can be kind of finicky at times. Mm-hmm. I will say that my vice is very slightly skewed. And I think that's just because like over time, it's just kind of gotten that way. And I just need to go and tighten it, things is up. Is it not a Veritas twin screw? It is a twer- Veritas twin okay. screw. Yeah. Right. So, but, but I'm really happy with it. And I didn't, I haven't found that it has been that finicky. Yeah, I, I I had a choice. I could go with the 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 vice I have now or the Veritas windscrew. Mm-hmm. And just because I've heard of, I'm not going to say a lot of people, but some people saying that they've had issues with it. Yeah, that's why I went with just a regular, you know, front vice. Uh, sag was another thing that they had mentioned is that over time that uh, they got a little bit of sag with the screw uh, to alleviate everything that- sags over time. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> 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 to alleviate that, what I did was put a piece of UHMW on a hardwood block and then attach that to the uh, underneath the vise where the screw goes through. So that supports the screw as it's opening up. There is one thing that I recently started using my vise for, and it's kind of, I don't know, maybe dumb, but you know when you're using the Festool Domino and, you, and you're test fitting something and you cannot get the dominoes out, so you reach for a pair of pliers? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, stick it in the domino in your vice, clamp it up, pop it out. So much easier, and it doesn't damage the uh, the little dominoes. That's that's but, a good point. Good tip there. I just grab the pliers. You can get those needle nose. Yeah, I just grab power needle nose pliers, and I put a piece of wood underneath it so the points don't damage the wood, and just pop it pops out. right out. Give the vice a try, guy. You may switch over. I may convert you. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, Sean, I think you've got the next question. Sure do. This one's from Rick. This may be too basic to address on the show, but you all talk of different benches, assembly, work, and outfeed. I get what an outfeed bench is, but what is the difference between a work and assembly bench? Thanks. Well, Rick, there are pretty much three different types of tables that you would traditionally have in your workshop. You have a workbench, assembly table, and an outfeed table. Uh, And assembly table is typically used for assembling your projects. It's going to have a dead flat top that you can reference. Uh, for instance, like if you're gluing up a, a table with aprons, you can flip it upside down, make sure that your your aprons in the leg, the top of the legs are all touching the, the tabletop. It's going to give you a dead flat reference uh, for the most part. And they're going to be pretty large in size, typically uh, four foot by four foot or a little bit larger. I've seen some people have four by eight or four by 12 uh, large assembly tables. And the outfeed table sounds exactly like the the name of it. It's an outfeed. It's going to be primarily used to support your pieces as you cut them uh, through the table saw because you don't want to cut the piece and it be, you know, seven feet long and it fall. It's going to protect or it's going to catch your work pieces rather and, um, and give you a place to push that through your table saw. Those are not primarily as important to have a dead flat surface. You're not going to have a real thick top uh, and they're not as big as an assembly table. 
in a workbench is something that's going to, you know, it's going to be a little more dedicated with vices and bench dogs and holdfasts and all kinds of stuff. And it it's going to be, it's going to have a thicker top and it's going to be something that you primarily use to work, work on your pieces with uh, hand tools. Yeah. That's the main difference between mine. I've got a, I've got a workbench and an assembly table. This, my assembly table is about three and a half by almost six feet. It's mm-hmm. not huge, but it's not tiny by any stretch of the imagination. And all I do is assemble stuff on it. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure I have a flat reference surface, especially for like doors and stuff like that, where I can put something on there, glue it up, and know that it's going to be flat. My workbench is really small because I don't do a lot of hand tool work, but that's why I have a workbench. It's just for the hand tool woodworking. Mm-hmm. And of course, to collect a lot of crap while I'm in the middle of a project. <laughs> the, the nice thing about a workbench, for me anyways, aside from the assembly bench or assembly table, is that it's rock solid. You know, I can bang on it. I can do chisel work. I can do hand work on it. And it's not going to move around. It's not going to flex. It's not going to do anything like that, which is something that I can't, you know, on my assembly table, I can't do any of that stuff with. I know you've got something you call a moat. That's different than your workbench. Oh, absolutely. It's different than my workbench. My my assembly table or multifunctional outfeed assembly table functions not only as an outfeed table, but it is also an assembly table. Just like Sean says, it's great to assemble things, parts, do my glue ups. Uh, then I can take that surface or that top off. And underneath, I use it as a sort of multifunctional table or a table that I use to register my domino off of because it's flat. And I use it not only for assembly, but I also use it to uh, do some light machine work, uh, router work, domino. But workbench is strictly hand tool use. See, my outfeed table is an MFT top. So I use that like a clamp. And that's where I do all my hand power tool stuff. Right, right. Because I've got, you know, I've got all the clamping options right there. That's why I've never felt a need to drill holes in my bench. Right. Because I can do it on that. My bench is small enough, you know, the workbench, if I need to clamp something to it, I can just clamp it off to the side and I'm, you know, I don't need to drill holes in it. Yeah. Someday I may. I mean, you've got the hold fast. You just <laughs> have to figure out when and if you need them. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know where they are anymore. They're in one of my 70 nine drawers. <laughs> One thing that I was going to mention was that it, in smaller shops, like a two car garage or something smaller than that, oftentimes people will share, uh, they'll make the outfeed table, the assembly table, or make the assembly table, the outfeed table. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will be a dual purpose. Uh, and oftentimes you'll see assembly tables with uh, grooves routed in them for the for the miter slots that are on the uh, the table saw for people that use mm-hmm. accessories like table saw sleds and, and whatnot. I know that my assembly table um, is also my outfeed table. So you'll see that oftentimes when in smaller shops or two car garages. You'll, you'll see that too, where, you know, people don't have three, they just have a bench mm-hmm. and it works as their outfeed table, their workbench and an assembly table. Yep. You know, it really depends on, on what your needs are, Rick, but those are the differences between them. You know, just start, you know, start building stuff and figure out exactly what you need to clamp when you need to assemble and, you know, what's going to work for you. Yeah, you'll soon figure out what you need as you're cutting larger pieces and have no support on the out, outfeed table of your, or outfeed side of your table saw. Yeah. So, cool. Guy, what do you got for us? Now it's to me now. 
This is from Eric at the Poplar Shop. We can't we can't have an episode without taking a question from Eric. You're here. His question is, with the internet providing information and inspiration for projects, do you still subscribe to woodworking magazines? It sounds like a, a weird question, but it really isn't. It's actually a really good question. There's so much out there nowadays as far as the internet goes between Instagram and YouTube and Pinterest. What need is there for a woodworking magazine? I don't subscribe to a physical magazine. I am a member of the fine woodworking online thing. I do the same. Same here. And and the reason for that is there's still times where, you know, I just don't want inspiration for something. I need to find out about a specific process that I may not be familiar with or I haven't done in a while. And it's really nice to have some kind of archive to go back to. If it's been done, it's probably on, on fine woodworking somewhere. It's nice to be able to just search in there and find, you know, sometimes you'll find articles that are, you know, 30, 40 years old. Sometimes they'll be written 10 years ago, five years ago, or last issue. And I find that really helpful. I still, you can still like look on my on my iPad and go through the magazine, but I rarely do that anymore. I just, basically, if I need something, it's a good resource for it. As far as the inspiration goes, I get a lot of inspiration from just about everything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. So I don't know how you guys feel about that. Yeah, I often, not often, but I have a, I also have a membership to the fine woodworking site. And and one really cool feature of that is they have the video workshop series where you can learn a lot um, Mm -hmm. watching step-by-step on how to do something from building a table to upholstery. I know Poplar Woodworking also has a service like a video on demand service, but it's expensive. It's like $20, $20 a month. Yeah. Fine Woodworking is the only service that I subscribe to, not the magazine, just the online part. Yeah, I think it's fairly inexpensive too. I think it's like $30 for the year. 30 or $40 a year. Yeah. I feel as though it is a great resource for information, not necessarily inspiration. Um, I really particularly like going back to uh, like you said, Sean, the video workshops. At the same time, man, they ha- they've got, they've got articles upon articles, and what they do is they actually redo or update articles uh, with a different author with uh, new machinery or new techniques or whatnot. So they're revisiting things. They're not always covering uh, new things, uh, but they're revisiting things and updating them to keep current. And that's why I really like going and having that subscription. What about inspiration? inspiration i get a lot from instagram <laughs> yeah i mean just so many pictures and it's it's you know so easy to search you go on the internet too and just doing google searches on different kinds of uh, designs of the same thing you know different different periods of the same piece i just use the internet for that yeah there i will say this and it's probably you know since i own the site but i just figured i would throw it out there there are over almost over a thousand projects on simple cove that users have submitted and a good portion of those are not just pictures they they take pictures of the whole build process and do step-by-step explanations on each picture and mm-hmm. i use that a lot for for uh, inspiration just to see what others have done and, and how they've done certain methods a little uh shameless plug there sean <laughs> Sure. You know, I wouldn't have brought it up, but it's a good resource over, you know, a thousand projects. 
excellent resource. It is a good resource. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can actually go there and find, I did a whole series for you guys over there one time. Yeah, you sure did. Like three or four years ago. It's really boring. Nah, it was awesome. And the guild over there. I feel as though the subscription, the online subscription to that magazine is absolutely worth it 100%. All right. I think the uh, ball's in your court, we. All right. The next question is from Jacob from North Carolina. I have a question about a standalone router table versus table saw extension wing router table. I've recently purchased a three and a quarter horsepower router and lift, and I'm now ready to build a dedicated router table. My workspace is a 20 foot by 20 foot garage that I share with the family van. Good man. Space is limited and everything has to be mobile. My vision has always been to add an extension wing router table to my cabinet saw. My recent concern is keeping the table flat over time. I'll incorporate a torsion top, but I fear the saw will get too heavy to move around. Do you think I'll have long-term success with the extension wing or should go with a standalone router table? I look forward to your input. Keep up the good work. All right. So I took on this question because I actually have a router table on the extension wing of my table saw, but it can actually act as a standalone router table. In other words, it's not being held up by the rails on the table saw. Does it attach to anything? It does attach to the rails, but in order to get the tabletop level to the top of the table saw, I actually have leveling feet underneath. Do you move your your table saw around? I don't move my table saw around. And so I've noticed that a lot of companies now, Grizzly being one uh, that I know for sure and SawStop being one I know for sure, are incorporating cast iron tops in their extension wings to house a router lift. And the reason why they're doing that and the reason why I did that was because I wanted to save space. I knew that my table saw wasn't going to be moving very much. The only times I would ever probably move the table saw is when I move out of the location that I'm in. So even though it's on a mobile base, the reason why it's on a mobile base is not for now. It's actually for way in the future. But a lot of companies are sort of going to that, going that route. The reason why I know my router table is going to remain flat is because I have a torsion box underneath laminated MDF that is then laminated with Formica on either side. So I don't think it's going anywhere. And because it's independent from the table saw, I don't worry about uh, trying to maintain uh, flatness because I've got, you know, a whole stack of cabinets underneath the table. So the downside, I think, to having a router table in the extension wing of your table saw is access. The way I have it oriented, I don't have access to the end of my router table, which it's actually really convenient to have, say, if you have a big piece that you're sort of pattern routing, it's kind of nice to be on the end of the router table rather than on the long side of the router table, if that makes sense. Guy, I think you have a dedicated router table. Am I correct? Yeah, that's what I was, that's what I was say, Jacob. You know, it, thing is, you have to decide how much you're going to use your router table. I use my router table a lot. I mean, a lot. Mm-hmm. If you put the router in your extension wing of your table saw, I wouldn't be concerned about the dipping of the top. I'd be just concerned about the weight on the end. You've got to put some legs on the end yes. to hold the rails up, okay? Because it's just gonna it's just gonna pull it down a little bit. So if you look at any of those setups, you know, like Saw Stop or Grizzly or whoever, they all have extension leg kits that go on the end of them to hold the, the end of the rails up. 
I think Powermatic has one also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Woodpecker just recently came out with one. And so does Inkra. Yep. But they all have leg kits that need to go on the end. That's going to kind of kill the mobility of your saw unless you build a special base to move it around with the legs on the extension. My shop, Jacob, is a lot like yours. It's 20 by 20. Actually, it's 20 by 24. But I have to move everything out of the way to put a car in there too. I actually have two router tables now. I know that sounds awful. But I've got two of them now. And I still find room to put everything in there. For me, I would not want the router table and the extension wing. Mainly because I A, I have to move my saw around. And B, it's not as easy to access everything on on both sides doing it that way plus i've got the Ankara table saw fence on there so it, it just doesn't make any sense for me to do it right you really have to decide what works for you jacob keep in mind also my table saw is in a dedicated space that never moves if it if i had to move it absolutely i think i would have smaller fence on my table saw and i would absolutely have my router table separate because having that mobility i think is more important than maybe saving that little bit of space yeah i agree it depends on what kind of mobile base you have on your table saw um, if it's something that if you you know if it pops up enough and the legs won't get in the way the levelers that are typically at the end of the legs mm-hmm. because you guys right you're going to need some support because of the added weight and i'm not going to tell you well i guess i'll tell you back in my early years of woodworking i was on a ladder in my garage and stepped on the outfeed table or i'm sorry the extension wing and Oof. it doesn't take much weight at all to move the table saw. So you're going to need support. Trust me on that. <laughs> Good point. That will uh, that will definitely add some weight, which you will need extensions and the mobility may be an issue. I would, I mean, with my setup, I, I would like to have it in the extension wing just because I could save a little space. But unfortunately, where my dust collection comes down in the center, mm-hmm. it would just be in the way of the, of the, uh, the router table. But I would love to have that since I don't move my table saw around. Do you know what I did with mine? I actually cut a hole to channel through PVC pipe so that it could be as much rigid hose as possible until it reached the dust port of the table saw. So I actually route the table saw dust dust extraction hose through the router table. Huh. Yeah. As long as it works. Yeah, it works. All right. I think, Sean, you got the next one. Cool. Let's talk about track saws. This is from WB Designs. Can you guys talk track saws in a future episode? I've got some large panels to cut for a coffee bar I'm building and need some feedback on different brands. Well, thank you for the question. Um, I've had experience with two track saws in my life. I first started out with a four and a half inch mini track saw from Grizzly, which is the T10824. They have a mini track saw? Yeah, they do. And it's not a quality track saw and it just caused so much frustration from the very beginning. And there's a reason it's only $99. Oh, it's not a very good setup. Yeah, it's terrible. The uh, the tracks were terrible. The saw was terrible. But then I upgraded to the uh, Makita, and it's a fantastic saw. Um, it comes with the 55-inch rail. Um, I think it does two and some change, two inches, two and three-sixteenths, I believe. Plunge at 90. Uh, it's a great saw. Uh, those are the only two that I have experience with. Um, that's what I wanted to cover first. What have you guys, uh, have, what have you all used in the past? Have you all only used Festool? Have you all tried other brands? I've, I've never used anything else. I've never used anything else. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, in no. looking at the the wonderful world of track saws, you now have a whole lot of options. There's 
Triton. There's obviously Dewalt, Craig, Festool. I mean, there's all kinds of them. And Bosch. Bosch. Yeah, yeah. The three I would look at, if it were me, to buy over again, I would look at the Festool, I'd look at the Makita, and I would look at the Bosch. Mm. And that's pretty much it. The Craig is new, and it looks just like the Grizzly slash Triton slash this slash Shop that. Fox and Shop yeah, Fox. Yeah. It's just an inexpensive Chinese thing. I think in Europe they call them Schlappock or something like that. Yes, yes, that's right. If they're all the they're exact all the same, same yep. saw, and they mm-hmm. look like a real. They look inexpensive. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Taking those, and I think Triton is the same thing. Yeah, um, yes. Taking those out of the mix, you've got the Bosch, the Makita, and the Festival, and DeWalt also. I yeah. have not heard many good things about the DeWalt. Oh, really? So, yeah, mainly it mainly has to do with the plunge mechanism on it. Okay. A lot of them are, have a battery option now, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was going to be a question that I was going to ask you guys if if you had the option to replace yours with a, you know, battery powered, would you go that route? No, I would. The only thing I want battery operated is my drills. Yeah. I'd have to try it. I'd have to try it. I haven't tried it yet, but it seems neat to not have the hose and the cord. Yeah. But I mean, I I don't know how good the dust extraction would be with just the bag. Yeah, that's true. That, that is a good point. You know, the dust extraction, if I, if I got to drag around a hose, I might as well drag around a cord. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point, Guy. Good. I didn't think good. about that because I'm going to have to drag around a hose anyways. That, that's a valid point. I, I think if you went with any one of those three, the Bosch, the Makita, or the Festool, I think you'd be happy because mm-hmm. I've heard good things. about. You know, I have the Festool. I like it. I wish I would have got the TS-75. We've discussed that before, mm-hmm. um, which is the bigger model. But the Festool can actually use Makita track and vice versa. Yep. The Makita is a different type of track. And I think the Triton uses the same style of track also. Yeah. Now, does the Festool, I don't, I'm not too familiar. Do they have an ecosystem around that track? Can you use it for other things like with the plunge yes. router? Yes. So yep. there, there is that aspect of you yeah, got to think if you're going to. jigsaw, you name it. That track will do a little bit of everything. Yeah. So if you're going to dive into the Festool ecosystem, there that's the positive of possibly getting the Festool is you can use that track for multiple things. And like Guy said on the Makita, you can use Festool tracks with that. That is one negative that I've heard about the Makita is the tracks are not always flat. Um, mm, so yeah, but my goal- also half the price of the Festool. I was right. going to say that's an advantage. If you have the Festool, you can buy the Makita track. Mm. <laughs> yep. And I was going to go the opposite and say, if I had the Makita, I would, you could always buy the Festool track and know that it's going to be flat. So you got, you got options either way with those two. You can, you know, with those three, I think that you'll do, uh, you'll do well. Right. Do you guys do, uh, anything other than 90 often with yours? Do you do any 45s, anything like that? Or do you just primarily cut breaking down sheet goods? I'm primarily breaking down sheet goods. There's a, a couple times I've used it to, rip long boards, which you have to put a different blade on to do, uh, mainly because it's negative 10 degrees outside and I don't want to open up my garage door because <laughs> I have a long board to rip on the table saw. <laughs> so I'll just break out my track saw and you know, I've got a nine foot something track and I, I use that. Uh, I just did it the other day, as a matter of fact, with some boards. I didn't want to open up my garage door. So it came in very handy to do that. Uh, I use that track 
quite a bit with my router. I've never used it with my jigsaw, but I use it quite a bit with the router. It's a handy accessory. Yep. So replacement blades. Does the Festool, what size blade does it use? A six and a half inch? No, it's a, it's a proprietary uh, size, I think. Yeah, I can't. It's it's something in millimeters. I can't remember I can't what it remember. is. Uh, 160 millimeters. Yeah, that sounds right. I actually have a Freud blade in my track saw, and I do have a Festool ripping blade. When my, my Festool track saw blade that it came with eventually got dull after about four years, I went to buy another one, and it was really expensive. So I end up buying a, a Freud blade, and it, it works fine. So the only time I switch it out is when I have to rip. Like I said, they have a special blade for that. It's got a, a more teeth on it, or less teeth on it. Right. Okay. Um, one last thing I wanted to touch on about track saws are the accessories that you can buy via you know third party. Uh, I'm guessing any of them, like the TSO products and all that stuff, if they fit the Festool, they will also fit the Makita track. Uh, do Correct. you think there's any and the Triton track and the I Triton? So. Okay. Yep. Yep. Any advantages, disadvantages between picking tracks off for the accessories? I know the ones you mentioned guy would, mm. other than the Bosch would, would fit that fairly well. The festival is going to have more, accept, more aftermarket than anything else. Cause it's the most popular. I, I I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool stuff out there for the festival tracks. Um, Seneca woodworks, Mm-hmm. Seneca Woodworking makes a real nice um, parallel guide system. Yep, long bench dog that they make too for it. Yep, uh, the quaz dogs, mm-hmm. the rail dogs, which mm-hmm. I use on my MFT top. There's all kinds of stuff out there, man. Yeah, so that's one thing to take into consideration when you're looking at these two because I know I want to look at some parallel guide system for, for my Makita setup because striking a line and lining it up and, and all that stuff isn't as fun as having a a guide set up to, to make it. It's not as accurate either. Yeah. Yep. I mean, those are some of the things to think about. I agree with Guy on those three uh, choices of the Bosch, Makita. I know that the only person I know with the Bosch, I guess because it may be new to North America now, is uh, Paul Jenkins from the Wood Knight mm-hmm. has the Bosch mm-hmm. and he loves it. So there's a few things to look at. Hopefully that helps and let us know what which one you go with. So Guy, off to you. To me again. This is from Chris. Chris is our new Patreon supporter. He's got a question for us. If you only get three festivals that you could have in your shop, what would they be? The domino can't be included in your three tools. Well, I don't know if I like those restrictions. Mm. Uh, I have a track saw and looking into a sander. So he's already got the track saw. So let's not talk about that. And looking into a sander, possibly the Rotex 125. I'm not sure I could justify the price of the Capex though I see you guys all have one. Mm -hmm. So let's take the Domino, the Capex, and the track saw off the table. Wow. Jeez. Okay. So other than that, the three things I would get, the first thing would be an MFT table, or at least an MFT top and build it into something. Mm. The MFT table or top is like the heart of the entire Festool ecosystem. The second thing is the dust extractor. Dang it. You're picking my list off, guy. All right. I'll stop there with those two. Once you get those two things, the rest of everything comes into play. Can I go next since I know yes. no other Festool products yes. other than? Yes. <laughs> okay. The, 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 what is it? The ETS 125 sander? That would have been my third choice. 
So yep. um, I'll, that's all I've got. We. <laughs> oh man, you guys chose everything, but I want to give props to the Row ninety, the Rotex ninety. And mm-hmm. the only reason why I would say, hey, you know, you might want to consider it, it would be somebody that is already sort of invested in the ecosystem and already kind of have it. That Row 90, man, is great for small pieces. It's just wonderful in the Rotex mode for uh, sanding out carved pieces. When I was doing my sculpted rocker, getting all those edges broken and just kind of uh, being able to not only... Uh, smooth with it, but also partially sculpt with it because when you put it in Rotex mode, it's very aggressive. Yeah, and it's got the little uh, detail sander too, which is kind of cool. Oh yeah, it's it's just a really great uh, sander to use. You know, if you're already invested in that ecosystem, which it sounds like you've already got a couple of pieces already. So, but man, you, I mean, it's, how do we come up with nine <laughs> nine things that are separate from each other, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't tough. think it's possible. But the the one twenty five sander, I came from a like a forty dollar Dewalt, and it's night and day difference. Mm-hmm. And one thing that people don't that people don't necessarily understand or, or notice, not understand, but notice when they're using the sander is how long it takes to stop when you turn it off versus mm-hmm. the the Festool. It's just hit the button, boom, you can set it down immediately. And the dust collection is great. Yep, and it just does not vibrate bad at all, nearly as bad as as the Dewalt. I mean, it's just. Yeah. It's just night and day. Yeah. The the ETS-125, I use that more than, mm-hmm. I have a Rotex-125 and a mm-hmm. 90. Mm-hmm. And the only time I really break out the, the Rotex is when I want to get a, a look at the grain mm-hmm. on rough sawn lumber. Other than that, I just use an ETS-125 because yeah. most of the time I'm just doing finishing sanding anyways. Yeah. And that's, I've got the one with the three millimeter stroke. That is my most used sander. No doubt. No doubt. As far as anything else goes, man, get an MF. If you don't, if you don't want to buy an MFT table, which they are expensive, I will say that. Oof. Just get an MFT top. They're about $120. I actually got the top on mine is not an MFT top. It's the old, it's not an MFT three. It's an MFT 1080. And the reason I bought that is because it's about $30, $40 cheaper than the mm-hmm. MFT three. And all I wanted was the piece of MDF with the holes drilled in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I actually built a, a little thing that it fits in. What do um, you guys What do you guys think about this? Because I've seen a lot of folks have CNC routers in their shop now. I'm sure there's a, 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 a file out there, a G code or whatever, that people can just, you know, either download it and get somebody to make it for them or make it themselves if they have a CNC router in their yes, shop. Yes, there is. You can actually, um, I think it's Seneca Woodworks has a, a PDF file of the, is it Seneca Woodworks? I think you're right. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure they- has a PDF yeah. file on their website that mm-hmm. you can download, that you can put into a CNC machine. The thing is, the MFT tops- are not MDF, they're HDF. It's more dense than medium density. It's high density fiberboard, not medium density fiberboard. And I have had twice had people try to make me a top on their CNC and it sucked. The holes were not perfect like they are on an MFT top. Yeah. Plain and simple. They're just not perfect. They're perfect on an MFT top. Have you considered looking at 
something like the PARF guide system. A TSO product sells it, and I saw a video on it uh, on YouTube, and they yeah, Peter Parf it made made something I can't remember what they call it. Parf dogs the, or Parf. The, oh, yeah. they they sell it on Veritas. No, it, it's it's the Parf something. It's not Parf dogs. It's Parf something. I have a friend of mine that has it, and he hasn't used it yet. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I know I've seen all kinds of different things to make your own MFT top. And I'll be really honest with you. By the time you made a jig or did this or did that, I could have bought the top already. Yeah. It's not worth my time. You could have bought one top, but once you make the jig, you've got the jig for life. You can make a new top off your old top. Unless you somehow damage it or something. I don't know. You're not going to damage the inside of the holes. You just drill, put it on top of a piece of MDF, uh, drill a hole into the thing, and put a sticker pattern router, uh, a pattern routing bit in there, and go zip, zip, zip. It'd take you forever. Yeah, that is a that is a valid point. Yeah, you know, and that's that's what I'm talking about. The time you spend mm-hmm. on doing all that crap, you could have just bought the damn top and been so, done with it. Yeah, that that's true. So how would you? Okay, yeah. So maybe that's what you do when you first get one of these replacement tops is make another top. Mm-hmm. If you want to. I, I said I just don't see the, 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 the need to. I've, I've had an MFT top. See, I don't use my MFT like people on construction sites do. If I was like a, a guy doing work out in the field where I had to depend on my MFT top and I was using it every day and cutting into it, I'd be lucky to get three or four months out of a top. I can see investing in something that would make me a new top so I didn't have to buy a new one every couple months. That's a valid point. Since I built my original top, I've replaced it once. That was four, almost five years ago. And I just replaced it last year. And it's got like two cuts in it now. It's $141 to replace the top or $230 for the jig. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't realize yeah. the top was so cheap. To be honest with you, I don't, wouldn't even. Huh? Yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a piece of HDF with holes drilled in it, yeah. and they're going to be accurate. That's the thing. You know, you get some, you get somebody on a CNC and they drill this thing out. CNCs, unless it's a you know a fifty, sixty thousand dollar CNC machine, the tolerance is not that high. And when you're talking a hole pattern like that, and you're depending on that hole pattern to get perfect ninety degree angles. Man, I tell you what, you know, a couple, three, four, five thousandths of an inch off, which is in the tolerance for most CNC machines, you know, if they're not industrial models, it's going to throw the thing off. Yeah. And it's not worth the effort when you can buy a replacement for $141. That's for an MFT3 top. The 1080 top is cheaper. Yep. Didn't realize something made by Festival is so cheap. <laughs> I don't know if it, I'd say cheap. <laughs> Well, compared to everything else, I call it cheap. It's probably the cheapest thing they make. <laughs> so is that is that the last question? I think so. I think so. I believe it is. And uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to recommend some folks to follow on social media. We, who you got? I've got Kim McIntyre of McIntyre. Oh, I was going to say Kim. No, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Kim McIntyre of McIntyre Furniture. It's M-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E. Uh, that's McIntyre Furniture on Instagram. 
Uh, I've gotten to know Kim. It's probably almost been two years now since I've gotten to know her. Uh, but she makes beautiful tea boxes. She does uh, baby furniture. She does cribs. And in fact, actually, one of the reasons why I'm mentioning her is because she actually sold me a plant, a set of plants, a crib that she designed. They worked out very well. I have a very nice crib. Um, but right now she is building a wooden kayak and man, she is just knocking it out of the park, man. A lot of detail. She's documenting the whole thing. It's really interesting for her to, um, for, for it to take shape. I mean, it's just, you know, strips of wood when you get, when you get it. And then suddenly now she's, uh, she's getting down to, uh, to the very end. So definitely check her out. Very cool stuff. Sean, who do you got? I have Gregory Rieski. It's Gregory R-A-I-E-W-S-K-I. And he makes custom design handmade furniture out of Petaluma. He makes uh, some mid-century modern uh, style furniture and not only mid-century modern, but uh, especially the, he makes a really nice looking mid-century modern coffee table that I really mm-hmm. dig the design, the angle legs and and the overall design is pleasing to the eye. And he also makes some uh, a beautiful credenza and an armoire that is, again, really minimal, really uh, just a really awesome looking piece. Uh, check him out on Instagram. Uh, I think that his feed is inspirational. And again, um, he uses a lot of walnut and it's just really, really great uh, material to use. I think one of my favorites, but check him out if you want some inspiration. Um, I think he's killing it there on Instagram. That's Gregory Rieski. Guy, what do you have for us? I have, it's actually not a person. It's actually a magazine, but it's an Australian magazine and it's called Wood Review on Instagram. That's, or at Wood Review. And they post a lot of pictures of, you know, obviously Australian woodworkers. And some of these guys are, are just phenomenal. It's very inspirational. There's a lot of really good posts, some really cool stuff these guys are doing down there just like they are here, but it's just another source, you know, kind of like the fine woodworking feed where they, they post a lot of stuff from, you know, not necessarily masters of the craft, but just ordinary people doing extraordinary work. And, uh, I, I really suggest looking at that. So we want to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes also. It really helps us in the search rankings. And, of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. Uh, remember, this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have any woodworking questions you would like answered and your name is an Eric from Poplar Shop, <laughs> you can send them. I'm just kidding, Eric. We still have a list. You can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. And you can reach me at guyswoodshop.com. And where can you be found at, we? You can find me at alabamawoodworker.com. Sean, where can we find you? Simplecove.com and at Simplecove on social media. Well, real good, guys. Uh, It was a good conversation, and we'll do it again in a couple weeks. (laughs) We'll see you in a couple. Awesome. All right. See ya.